The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we, we come here again asking you that through your word and by your spirit, you would fulfill in us what you command, that you would empower us to hear you and be transformed by your word and love like you call us to love. And God, we know, we know from our own hearts, we know from the world around us, know from the conflict inside of our hearts and the conflict around us that that would be a miracle of grace to love like that. And so God, that's what we're asking for, a miracle of grace. That's what we depend on day by day to walk this Christian life in Jesus. So come now, we pray, and fulfill in us what you command of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So you'll remember uh, last week I said that my hope for us as a people is that we'd be a people that engages in the Great Commission by embodying the greatest commandments. So engaging in the Great Commission by embodying the greatest commands. Then I explained it to say that as we love God with all of our hearts, as the one supreme in all things and worthy of all that we are and all that we do, and as we actually move towards other image bearers with compassion and love, we won't be able to help ourselves but spread the good news of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. In other words, if our love for Christ is real and our love for others is real, we will not be able to help ourselves but tell them about Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. And so today, in this parallel text, we see the lawyer answer Jesus' question about what is the most important commandment. He's asking, he's testing Jesus to say, okay, there's all these laws, give us your best answer. Right, right. Tell us your best answer. And, and Jesus puts it back on him and says, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say? And here's how the lawyer answers. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So in this story, the setup to this story of the Good Samaritan is the two greatest commandments at play again, just like we saw last week. So last week we saw that to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength was both foundational and that you can't do anything else, right? You can't do anything else unless you love God that way. And we saw that it's impossible. So foundational and impossible in that no one did that this week perfectly. None of you loved God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And certainly before you came to Christ, you weren't even close. You weren't even thinking about God. So we saw that it's foundational but impossible. But we also saw that Jesus has done it. 
Jesus has done it. He fulfilled the law on our behalf and by faith in his perfect life, his his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection, we are in Christ, right? Think of the sermons before we started this series that we're in him. His death to sin counts for our death to sin. His resurrection life gets us eternal life and by the power of the Holy Spirit, by being in Christ, not only can we rest in his righteousness, but we can run by his grace. We can run by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has done this heart surgery called the new birth, or called regeneration, or calling it being born again, that gives us hearts that can actually see Jesus, that can actually love Jesus, that can actually worship Jesus. And as we see him, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next to be like him, which means we can actually love God. We can actually love our neighbor. Jesus, when he talks about these things, always puts these commands together. Love God and and love neighbor. Here's the first and the second is like it. Why does he put them together? Well, I think it's because the heart of God, as we love God, is expressed in his commands. In In other words, if you read the whole Old Testament covenants right in commands what you would see on display is the heart of God so you might read the old testament and go what what is building a a parapet on your roof have to do with me right Leviticus is crazy right why would I read that well what's the parapet for it's for a flat roof so that when you're having a barbecue your neighbors don't fall off the roof Right? You're loving God, which means maybe you should salt your sidewalk in the winter as love for neighbor, right? So, so that's what is expressed in God's heart, in God's commands, is this love for neighbor. So much so that Paul would say this to the church, not to the old people of Israel, but to the church. He says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Paul and Jesus and everyone puts these together. Love God and love your neighbor because we can't separate them. You can't love the God who loves people made in his image and yet not love people made in his image and say you love God, right? First John would bring that to bear, especially in the church. It would say, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're lying to yourself. That's not possible. And you want to know how you've been born of God? If you love your brother. (laughs) But 1 John says he holds these things together. The heart of God shown in his commands is to move in mercy and care towards those both practically and spiritually. And by the power of the Spirit, we are drawn into his heart of mercy. We're drawn into his heart of love. So much so that we want to go where Jesus went. We want to love like Jesus loved. We want to care like Jesus cares. We want to lose our lives like Jesus lost his life that we might gain true life. We want to sacrifice instead of be safe because we know that's what is truly living and what true love requires. We want to move towards need and not away from need because that's what our God does. That's what his heart is. So let's dive in to this story as we see these two distinct but inseparable commands come to bear. So let's 
be clear here. Point number one, a bad question from a broken heart. Let's be clear that to love neighbors would be hard enough. That would be hard. But there's a phrase thrown in there that makes it almost impossible. So you might say, I'm, I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to do some good things. And Jesus would say, well, you're, you're close. But what I said is love your neighbor as yourself. That's hard. <laughs> Here's why it's hard. We think about us a lot. Dave thinks about Dave a lot. Right? Dave loves him some Dave. Right? I spend a lot of my life thinking about myself. It's just how we work. Right? Self-love in the Bible is just assumed. Don't have to prove it. We all know that we think about ourselves. Right? We think about our needs, our wants, our hurts, our sorrows, our joys, our hopes, a lot. And so to love our neighbors as we love ourselves requires all of us. It requires all of us. Right? It requires that our natural disposition be that we love someone else and think about someone else and care about someone else and join them in their sorrows and join them in their hopes and join them in all those things as much as we do for ourselves. It requires us to look around at those made in the image of God and actually believe people are worthy of our time, our energy, and our care. And that's, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen naturally. This lawyer knows the law and has answered Jesus' question with technical correctness. He's got it right. He's read his textbook. So Jesus tells him, well, all you need to do now is go do it. Just go love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the tough part. (laughs) That's the actual hard part. Easy to think about that. But not just thinking it, but going to do it is what's difficult. And we don't get to define. Notice that Jesus has already taken out of the lawyer's hands his ability to define what love is. Jesus has told him, love means loving as you love yourself. So the lawyer can't make a list of things. Jesus would just say, well, is that how you'd want to be loved? Is that, is that how you'd want someone to care for you? And so the lawyer has been backed into a bit of a corner here. And he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we don't need to guess at the health of this lawyer's heart, right? The Gospels just put it on full display for us. It says that he's trying to justify himself. In other words, he's looking for the checklist that can serve as his escape hatch right? What's the checklist that gets me out of this problem? He wants to know who counts as my neighbor, right? I need to know what to do, earn my righteousness, and get on with my life, right? He's very important. He has a full schedule. He needs to know exactly who it is he needs to pencil in to love, right? So who's who's my neighbor is a self-justifying question, right? His, His heart's not really in it, and we're all prone to this, Right? Kids, let me ask you this question. Have your parents ever said to you, hey, that, that was a bad fight. Would you go say you're sorry to your brother and sister? And you're not quite there yet. So you, sorry. Right? And what do, you, what do your parents say? Right? Adults, have you done that in your house? Uh, to someone else, to your kids maybe? 
they learn it from places. Um, but th- that's what's going on here, right? It, it's this half-hearted tone. That's the kind of thing that the lawyer is trying to do right now. His heart's not in this. He thinks very highly of himself, right? I, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I know these things, right? I know the, the law better than anyone else. I know what I'm supposed to do, and his wicked heart is not filled with self-giving love that wants to serve and love others to honor Jesus or honor God. Instead, it's filled with self-serving legalism, He wants to serve himself, and he wants to maintain his place of honor. He wants to do enough to look good and check off the boxes and justify himself. Do you see how this makes that love transactional? This makes that love transactional. If your love for your brother or sister at church or your husband or wife, or your kids, or your coworker, or if another family member, or your actual neighbor is just so that you can check it off a list or think God will think better of you, then you've turned that person into a project to be completed rather than a person to be loved. And how often do we do that? I should probably call them. Right? I should probably follow up. I should probably, right, you've made it a transaction. What, what, what's going on in our hearts? We are called to love God as we want, or to love others as we want to be loved ourselves, and I'm guessing you wouldn't want to be treated that way. Right? Imagine if someone showed up to help you in some broken situation, some hard situation, and you said, thanks for coming. I said, I'm here because it eases my Christian conscience. You've texted me so many times. <laughs> I finally came. I, I, I tried turning off the group chat, but you just kept texting, right? Or if they said, I'm here because other people are here and they'll think I'm awesome, right? I'm, I'm here because other people are going to see me and know, hey, you know, Pastor Dave was there. <laughs> He's everywhere. That guy does everything, right? You wouldn't like that. That wouldn't feel like you're being loved as you want to be loved, you're, like you're loving, like you wanted to be loved yourself, And so this lawyer, he's going through the motions to serve himself, or perhaps he already senses his own inadequacy and his conscience is looking for an easy way out. Either way, he honors Jesus with his lips, but his heart is far from Jesus. And therefore, he asks a bad question from a broken heart. Point number two, a blunt illustration of a bountiful heart. And the reason I call it a blunt illustration is that we see Jesus sometimes in the gospel like, like a careful surgeon, right? Opening up someone's heart. Think of the woman at the well. Just the questions and the diagnostics. and he, He's getting in there and finding the broken places. This one feels more like a hammer, right? Th- this story is simple, and this is a blunt instrument. This is a very, uh, I'm just going to end any notions of your self-righteousness right now kind of story. So the question is on the table, who's my neighbor? Right? And Jesus decides not to answer the question. Right? I actually had a mentor just like this, and if I asked a question and he started talking about something that seemed kind of random, I knew I was in trouble. Right? I knew that my question was obviously the wrong question and there was some kind of moment coming at the end, some kind of mic drop, right? Jesus answers this self-justifying question with a story, and this is the definition of a Jesus juke, right? He right now is just taking the conversation and said, I'm going to tell you what really matters. You're asking 
the wrong question. So here's what he says, the first half of the story in verses 30 to 32. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Now this story would have felt shocking, especially because Jesus is talking to another religious elite. So he's holding up here the cream of the crop, right? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles long, downhill, kind of windy, and the trip was sometimes made for the sake of business. And it was a dangerous road, steep drop-offs, boulders on the side of the road. Lots of robbers could hide behind these big boulders, and it was often a dangerous journey to the point that there was even a place on the road called the Pass of Blood, right? Like, because legend has it, or the, or the, became known that, like, a lot of blood gets shed on this road by these robbers and these bandits. But luckily... By chance, a priest who's at the top of the food chain in the religious order, the cream of the crop, the most moral guy that they could know, knows the law, moves towards sinners in mercy all day at his job. He comes. He comes, right? It would seem that this Jewish man coming from Jerusalem, walking this dangerous road, being attacked, being robbed, his very clothes stolen off his back, beaten down, left on the road to die, viciously, brutally, mercilessly beaten, left helpless, weak, dying, and naked. It would seem he got lucky. Like the best guy showed up to help him. Like the priest. And this guy, who knows the law and moves towards sinners and mercy all day long, passes by. Now, there's theories why he passed by. Maybe he was worried about ritual uncleanness. Maybe he was thinking, maybe those guys are still hanging around behind the rocks. They don't want to get too close. I better just uh, move on past. But those reasons really don't matter. (laughs) And Jesus really doesn't give us anything else to go on. He just tells the story because the point is he moved away from the needy, dying, and helpless man. And that would have been shocking to this religious leader and whoever else was standing there listening. Um, imagine imagine a, a pastor you know and love doing this. Maybe don't imagine me. I don't want that thought in your head. Maybe imagine Haddon. Right? right? Haddon is great. Who doesn't love Haddon? Imagine Haddon <laughs> passing along the side of the road. right? Or someone that you love or that you care for and that you're just like, this is the one we want to show up. And they just walk right on past. This is shocking. And so then a Levite comes, right? And in the story, these people are probably thinking, well, he's not a priest, but at least he's a Levite, right? Not quite cream of the crop, but he'll do. At least he's in a prominent line that serves the temple. He knows about mercy, knows the law. Certainly he'll help. But again, moves away and walks past, right? This is shocking. This is a second religious leader knows the law that's just been cited by the lawyer better than anyone else and they walk right past. 
And this is showing, this lawyer and everyone listening, that it is easy to have a list of people you call your neighbors and check off a list. It's harder to have the neighborly heart of Jesus wherever you are. That's the point. Especially if it's costly or dangerous. And honestly, you guys, it's very rarely costly or dangerous for us here. So maybe the words that land better for us is that it's time-consuming or inconvenient. Like, when was the last time someone asked you for help and it was, like, dangerous? Probably never. Maybe, maybe a couple of you have an exception. But what about just being inconvenient or time-consuming? And think about how impossible it would be to move towards that need if the help you're going to give is transactional. Right? And, and not coming from a heart of love, but a transaction. Right? There, there's nothing to gain by helping this person who's just going to die anyways. Right? If you walk by, no one's going to know you walked by. Right? N- no one's going to uh, add that right to your Facebook page. Right? No one's going to take a Facebook Live video of the priest or the Levite and show them walking by. Like, there's nothing to lose by walking by, and there's nothing to gain by going to him, so I might as well just keep to my schedule. Or maybe you look at the pain and go, well, probably shouldn't have been walking there. Probably shouldn't have brought this on themselves. Right, so what, what's happening in our hearts in that moment is we're doing the math and deciding if it's worth it. These religious leaders did the math here and decided it's not worth it and they walked by. This man will die (laughs) from their walking by if he's left to bleed out. So the question of the story then would be, if the religious leaders won't save him, who in the world will? Verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. So, so what you really need to do in this moment as you hear the word Samaritan is imagine the type of person in the news or in politics or on the, on the other side of issues that you are that is most offensive and most repulsive to you and put their name in the place of the name Samaritan here. It's really what you need to do to read this story and feel the impact of it. That's how offensive this would be. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And that, that's not an overstatement. The, the Samaritans were the people that had married foreigners during the exile from Jerusalem. They'd constructed their own temple. And so for all those reasons, they were considered unfaithful, unclean, immoral, law-breaking, false worshipers of the true God. The Jews would call them dogs and would pray in the temple that God would not forgive them. That's, that's how far this went. So think of that person that's most repugnant to you and put their name here. Well, this Samaritan sees the man beat up and has compassion. And his compassion doesn't stop at a prayer or a post about that terrible thing he saw on the way home from work. Right? It doesn't stop there. Instead, Jesus is about to show us what love of neighbor looks like, what it is to be a neighbor, a Christ-like neighbor. And it's a heart of compassion that overflows in action to move towards the need with, guess what? All our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. 
Just like we love God, we're supposed to love our neighbor that way. It's an overflow of our all-in love for God to love those made in his image like this as we share in his heart. So look at verses 34 to 35. This Samaritan, this hated dog, this person that they would have cursed, here's what he does. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So he doesn't go to the other side. He goes right to him. Before we go on, let's remember, it's very likely that this is a Jewish man dying on the side of the road, coming out of Jerusalem. A man that most certainly, in any other situation, if he was a normal Jew, would be cursing the Samaritan, calling him names, praying hateful prayers against him. Think of the most polarized post and sarcastic memes and hateful comments and, and ugliness we've seen over the last two years. That's, that's this. And this man, Samaritan, moves towards this enemy. And he uses probably his own clothes to stop him from bleeding out. He's been stripped naked on the side of the road. And this guy probably is taking off his own clothes and and covering him, taking care of his wounds. He's using oil and wine that would have been daily provision for his own food and using them to dress the wounds. He's putting him on his animal and walking himself. He gets him to a place where he can sleep and rest and be somewhat safe. And he doesn't just leave him there, but stays up overnight like an ICU nurse to care for him. We know they stayed overnight because it says the next morning came, the next day came. And then the next morning, he goes and he gives about two months worth of rent for this man's care and says he'll repay anything else When he passes back through, he's all the way invested. He's all in, right? He's loving this man as he'd want to be loved himself with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's thinking of and doing everything he can, right? This is not transactional love. This isn't a checklist. This isn't for himself. He has nothing to gain Accept his whole life by losing it for the sake of his neighbor. Nothing earthly to gain here. This guy can't pay him back. This guy probably isn't even alert enough to know who he is. Right? He's not going to get any cool religious street cred for this. Right? He helped a Jew. No bragging rights in Samaria for helping a Jew. No posts about it. No one else will know except maybe an obscure innkeeper who no one will believe if he tells the story anyways. Right here is a guy loving across social and ethnic and political lines of hostility from a heart that is all in to love God and therefore transformed by the heart of God to love those made in the image of God as he loves himself, to see image bearers the way God sees them. Right? To love image bearers how God loves them, to care for image bearers how God cares for them. For them. There's no motivation here from an earthly perspective except an inward heart of compassion and mercy that has received compassion and mercy 
and therefore finds his ultimate joy in the God of mercy and has that flow out of him to others. So Jesus tells the story and stops. Point number three, a better answer and a big calling. (laughs) My guess, right, I always tell you, I try to imagine these things in my mind. My guess is by this point, the lawyer doesn't follow up again with, yeah, but but who's my neighbor? (laughs) He's lost all hope that Jesus will give him some kind of simple answer about the people that count as his neighbor. And instead, Jesus ends his story with a question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Uh, right before this in the text, Jesus is, is praising God about salvation and about the reality that uh, God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Right? E- every kid <laughs> that you would read the story to and ask this question to, say, hey, which one of those seemed like a better neighbor? Right? No kid would get that wrong. Right? No kid would get that wrong. They go, well, the one that helped him, right? And yet this lawyer and these this religious person has come up with all sorts of categories and rules and, and twisted God's intentions in so many ways that he's made this complex system that he's missed it, right? You'll, you'll notice that the, the lawyer gets the point, but his heart isn't there yet. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. Right? He's not going to say that out loud yet. He's not ready. His heart's not ready to give the Samaritan credit. He just says, I guess, I guess the one that showed him mercy Even though he doesn't like it, he can't avoid it. A heart of compassion moved the Samaritan to show mercy. And Jesus is essentially saying to this lawyer, you asked the wrong question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, do I have the heart of a neighbor? Do I have this kind of heart? Notice how Jesus ends it, right? You go and do likewise. Remember earlier Jesus said, go do that and live. Now he says, you go and do likewise. So for us today, that little phrase, you go and do likewise, coming out of the story, it exposes us, it encourages us, and it exhorts us. That's how we're going to end. We want to see our hearts exposed, encouraged, and exhorted. So how does it expose us? This story, question and command, just exposed the lawyer's heart. He, he couldn't go and do likewise. As far as we know, he couldn't even say Samaritan out loud yet. His heart wasn't there. And we can't just go do this perfectly. We can't go do this. We haven't done this perfectly. We haven't loved God perfectly or our neighbors as ourselves. We are needy, naked, exposed, and dying on the side of the road in our sins. We can't justify ourselves We can't do enough or be enough. We can't improve enough. You're not going to be there in five years or ten years. We've all chosen convenience over what is costly. We've all chosen safety over sacrifice. We've all loved out of duty rather than delight. We've all chosen transactional love towards those who are lovely instead of true love towards the most unlovely. We've all done that, right? This story, like, we get to play all the parts, we are the priest and the Levite. Right? We, we are. But the story also 
encourages us. We can't help but read this story and be encouraged by the compassionate, neighborly love of the Samaritan who loved over and above the religious and political animosity, loved his neighbor as himself. Everyone loves a good story or book or movie with sacrificial love, right? Makes you feel better. <laughs> like there's hope in the world. Why? Because it's Jesus. And he is the hope in the world, right? Our minds can't help but drift to the God-man who came into our mess, saw us laying spiritually beat up, broken, naked, dying, and moved towards us in perfect neighborly compassion. We can't help but think of him justifying us by his grace, clothing us with his righteousness, healing our spiritual wounds completely by his wounds, anointing our heads with oil, paying the price for our salvation, carrying us all the way home where we wait for his return to settle all accounts and make all things new. Right? You see yourself in the priest and Levite and go, oh. Then you see yourself lying on the side of the road and go, he did it. He, He did it for me. Jesus, the God-man, loved with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly and demonstrated perfect love of neighbor as himself. He did it for the joy set before him, the joy of being in the presence of his Father and the joy of loving the world of neighbors into the presence of his Father with him. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. And finally, it exhorts us. (laughs) We are broken. We do need a Savior. We can't do this perfectly. But church, we can do it. (laughs) We can do it. How? By the new birth. (laughs) We can truly love God. We can truly love our neighbors. We can pray for this and plead for this. We can take baby steps in this. We can ask Jesus to help us see him and love him and long to be with him so much that we become like him. If Jesus is our goal and our fuel, then to love neighbors like we love ourselves is to see them as needy and broken and hurting and dying people that need Jesus as their goal and fuel of all healing and hope and joy and salvation. That's what we need. That's what God can do by the power of his spirit. We can do this. You can do this. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You can do this. I'm not asking. Just hear this. Sometimes we hear this and we just think, I just, I got to change everything. And it's like when you, you know, go on an extreme diet or haven't worked out in three years and run 10 miles, right? You just hurt yourself. I'm not asking you to just change everything. Here's what I'm saying. Acts 17, it gives me this category, right? God has determined the boundaries and the dwelling places of all peoples, that they might feel their way towards God. Right? Second Corinthians 5, you are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through you. Be reconciled to God. So wherever you are right now in your fall schedule, in your co-ops, in your sports, in your activities, right? in your small groups, in your Bible studies, wherever you are, in your neighborhoods, at your workplace, you're there because God puts you there. And I'm not asking you to change all that, right? It's good once in a while to change and look and go, man, we are too busy. We can't love anybody. We're so busy. But right now, you are where you are. And I know I can't mess with that fall schedule. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to pray for divine appointments in your day 
I'm asking you to pray for your neighbors. I'm asking you to pray for your extended family. I'm asking you to pray for your coworkers and pray for your friends. I'm asking you to pray that Jesus gives you eyes to see them as made in the image of God and in need of a kind of love that will point them to the eternal love of Jesus. I'm asking you to do what we talked about last week. Because you're in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, bring Jesus with you wherever you go. Talk to him. Remember his goodness and beauty and ask him to use you to love across all lines with a love like his that is not transactional but true, not safe but sacrificial, not from duty but from delight, and move towards the most unlovely to show them the loveliness of Christ and plead with God that he would make them lovely in Jesus with you. What I'm asking you to do <laughs> is be the church. If you're, if you're wondering, like, how do we, what do we do? How, how do we get influence? How do we, how do we do it? How do we preserve this? What do we do? Man, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And 2,000 years of history show that's what the church does and that's how the light shines in the darkness and to not despise the day of things that seem smaller like loving and listening to your neighbor and your barista and your coworker, but loving them like you love yourself so much that they see there is one that loves with a self-giving sacrificial love that will pay for my sins and bring me the hope and the joy I've been looking for in all the wrong places let's pray So, Lord, we're going to come and eat and drink with you here in just a moment. And, God, this this story does expose us. It exposes our transactional love towards others. It it exposes our, our hearts that don't yet love our neighbors as ourselves. It exposes areas of our hearts where we don't love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so, God, as we come and eat and drink with Jesus, we... Just confess our brokenness and we can confess our sin and we confess where we love ourselves and other things more than we love you and others. And God, we're so encouraged that there's grace. We've been redeemed. We've been covered in the righteousness of Christ so we can rest, Lord. We don't confess those things from a place of fear or needing to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or just work harder in our own strength. We confess those things as people safe in the gospel. It's completely safe in the gospel. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. Who will condemn? It is God who justifies. We're safe. We remember this good news as we eat and drink with Jesus. And Lord, we come to the table of Jesus asking him, Lord, help us love like you loved. That many more would feel the love of Christ through us and join this family. God, help us start in the small things. Help us prayer walk our neighborhoods, pray for our family members, pray for our coworkers, listen well in the hallway, listen well in the coffee shop, move towards need and hurt with compassion and mercy. 
see others as made in the image of God and love them like we would want to be loved so that they would receive good and you would receive glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.